Okay, so for those of you who don't know, my name is Sarah. Um, I came to York for university and have been here just over three years now, graduated in July, and next July, I am getting married. <laughs> to Adam, your student worker. I know, gotta, gotta have Mitchell Baker as my surname. It's, it's a process to get my head round. But as delightful as he is, there is a certain bugbear with marrying a bloke such as Adam. And it can be summed up in one word. Don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you too much. Football. Now, I am not anti-sports. I like sports. I engage in sports. In fact, my Saturday this weekend orientated around what turned out to be a rather miserable rugby game. I can get passionate about sports, but football, I just can't get on board with. And there's so much politics around it and history around it and names that are always changing and I can never keep track. But it's a passion of his. And not only does he follow one team, he follows two because he's greedy like that. But uh, so, yeah, Reading is his home team and Liverpool is his second team just because. I don't really know why you picked that one as well, but he does. So we were chatting about Elijah, who we're talking about today. Um, and we were chatting about legacy chatting about the Bible, a conversation I thought, no chance like football can weave its way in, I'm safe here, and flipping heck it did. And he's like, oh, you know, you know who's got a great legacy? Yeah, go on then. Liverpool. <laughs> great. <laughs> Just when I thought I was safe. So Liverpool do actually, it turns out, have an interesting legacy. <laughs> I was sad to find this out. <laughs> Even more sad to find out that it's the best story I had to open this talk with. <laughs> but interestingly enough, don't worry, non-football fans, I find it interesting, which means you might do. Between about 1960 and 1992, kind of Liverpool's glory years, they had a tradition. Every manager that was appointed had either been a captain of the team or had been a coach or some sort of assistant in the boot room which meant that throughout these 30-odd years, every manager, everyone overseeing it all, was homegrown, was gaining knowledge, tips, advice, being raised up by someone who had previously managed the team, and they were passing on the baton to someone who'd been on the journey with the team for the long haul. And yet this season wasn't just distinct because of that, it was also distinct because of winning. The equivalent of the Premiership today was an English First Division, they won 13 out of 30 championship titles over the 30 years, which, I mean, I don't do stats, but that seems pretty good. Seems that their tactic was working. I mean, obviously, they changed it, but those were the glory days, right? They're, they're the ones people hark back to. So it's something about this passing on the baton that was building the legacy of the whole team. It wasn't the legacy of each individual manager, it was something bigger. So... As we're wrapping up our series on Elijah today, this is the sixth week, don't worry if you haven't been with us for six whole weeks, we're learning more about this guy who's called a prophet, who hears from God and is used as a mouthpiece to the people, to the nations, um, to share what God is saying to them and what God wants to teach them. And we're learning about his story in the book of Two Kings, which is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, before Jesus had come down to earth. And uh, we've seen him have a bit of a roller coaster of a life, really. He's survived famine, seen miraculous provision from God. He's uh, fled for his life when someone threatened to kill him. He's 
nearly given up all under some tree and has had dark days and then he's climbed to a mountain and seen earthquakes and all sorts and heard God in a still small voice and it's been quite dramatic, quite cinematic for a life story. But we fast forwarded so many decades now and we're now at the point of his life where it's coming to the end of his time on earth. We're looking back, we're looking at his legacy and also this guy Elisha, unfortunately similar name, who's been tagging along with him for just over 10 years, scholars estimate at this point. And we're looking at how his legacy is played out in him raising up this younger leader, how this leader's followed him around, not because he thinks Elijah's so great and just wants to learn to mimic him, but because Elisha sees Elijah's example and his life as pursuing something greater. He's pursuing God and he's pursuing a legacy of giving God fame and praise and letting his name be known. So we're looking at this passing on of the baton from Elijah to Elisha. And also in the back of our minds throughout today, we're going to be thinking about how this is reflected in the New Testament when Jesus, God as a human on earth, has come and lays out an example for us to follow an example of a life in relationship with Father God and what we can learn from that and how the relationship of Elijah and Elisha can inform and transform our own relationships with Jesus. So we're going to look at today's passage, which is in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. It may join us on the screen, but if not, I'll give you a few moments to find that in a Bible or on your phone. Hey, then there was light. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. It reads, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. So they went on to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. So Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they both went on to Jericho. The company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of prophets went and stood at a distance. Imagine that. You just turned up at a place you haven't been to before and there's suddenly 50 fellows on the side just onlooking for this moment everyone's waiting for when the Lord takes Elijah. They were facing where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. 
Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? It's imminent now. Elisha knows these are his final moments with this person he's been following for over 10 years. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it won't. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the Jordan. He struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over it. So we see this life long-lived and full of cinematic moments of Elijah come to an end as he ascends to heaven. And we see Elisha left there alone. But he's learnt what to do and he's learnt how to live because of Elijah's example, because of Elijah's legacy. You see, Elisha wasn't following Elijah for his own benefit, for his own fame, because the legacy isn't about the individual. It was for the kingdom of God, for the fame of God, that Elisha was following Elijah around, that he was learning from him. It's the legacy of Liverpool football team, not each individual manager. So Elijah's legacy was being built through teaching Elisha, by example, sharing his passion for God, his knowledge of God. But along this journey, this educational journey, where Elisha's pretty much a servant to him, there are examples of him washing his hands for him, things like that. He's, he's not got a glory-filled job. He's not the glamorous sidekick. He's very much the inferior, the sort of apprentice to the teacher. Along this journey, we see there are three occasions where Elijah permits Elisha to stay behind. Oh, you, you can stay here. I'm going here. Three times he says this. And I think our relationship with God is a lot like this, right? I think our relationship with God is not built on any sort of obligation, any sort of, I'm going here, come with me now, or you're definitely going to follow. I think every point in our journey with Jesus learning from his example, there's always permission to stop and let God go on. There's always permission to opt out. And there's always invitation to opt in. See, the opposite of what Elisha did, which was opt in, the opposite wasn't rebellion. It's just staying put. It's just sort of drifting, 
letting Elijah go on his God-called journey, and Elisha could have just stayed put. Opting in wasn't something passive. It was something Elisha had to decide to do and almost declare, no, as long as you're here, as long as God's real, I'm coming with. I want in. I'm opting in. So if opting out is intentional, I wonder how often we unintentionally opt out. Opt out of where God's going ahead of us, where he's leading us if we want to follow. But we unintentionally go, oh, you know what, I might just stay here. This seems all right. That looks a bit risky or a bit challenging. Maybe it's like we know church is important and we know that to gather together as a family is how Jesus taught us to learn and to grow. But life's just busy and your diary just fills up and Sunday is a much needed day to just pack things in and there just isn't time this week or maybe next week or maybe the week after. Maybe we know God cares about our decisions. We know that God wants in on our life decisions, but we don't really ask him very often. Maybe we don't ask if he's in fact got a different idea, maybe even a better one. Maybe we've heard that God heals people. Maybe we've seen it, but, oh, that's a bit risky, a bit awkward if it doesn't happen. I don't really fancy doing that. That can be for other people. You know, there seems to be people who are better at it than me. For me, I've, I've got a really critical mind. I'm my own worst critic, but that also means that sometimes I have ridiculously impossible standards for other people. So forgiveness is a bit of a struggle, right? I mean, people can let me down one time and I'll find the grace to forgive them. And then they do it a second time because, hey-ho, they're not perfect. And I find it really hard to show them the grace and love that God's already shown me. And I go, oh, I know you love them, Jesus, but that's, just, that's hard work. As if I haven't looked in the mirror. <laughs> so I go, you can go on, God, but I'm going to stay here. Because that, that takes a knock on my pride. That takes a knock on my ego. And I, d- I just can't forgive them yet. I'm just going to linger on to that. Because that's a great idea. So Elisha is following Elijah in this journey. He's opting in at every moment, but it's not glamorous for him, as we've said. He's obedient continually, and his moment to shine, so to speak, doesn't come until 10-odd years of following this guy around, of cleaning his hands, of watching him prophesy to the nations, and Elisha sort of being that awkward shadow in the background that everyone's like, what's he doing here? He knows Elijah's time on earth is limited. He's making the most of his chance to learn. It's not helped by those prophets at every location reminding him that Elijah's about to go. It's almost like they're jibing him. Yeah, you know he's leaving. What are you going to do then? And each time he's quieting them. I find that quite interesting. Some think that it's to do with not talking about death, that it's not respectful because Elijah might, Elijah might be in hearing distance. So Elisha's saying, shh, that's, you know, a bit rude. He's right there. But maybe he's actually a bit afraid. You know, when Jesus ascended to heaven, the disciples were lost to begin with. They were like, flip, it's actually gone. Maybe Elisha's dreading it. He's like, I've spent like a decade following this guy, learning from him. 
wanting to understand God the way he does and prophesy to the nations, tell people what God wants to say to them like him. And he's actually going to go. The day is actually here. He's got like butterflies in his stomach and he's like, oh, flip. What's going to happen then? What's going to happen to me? There's a great challenge for Elisha in his journey with Elijah to not idolize him, I think. To not see him as this sort of unachievable level of greatness. To not stand too much in awe of him and to constantly keep his eyes on the fact that it's God he's pursuing. It's God that makes Elijah special. It's God that's the main character in this story. Not this guy that he's been following literally in the footsteps of. Elisha becomes a living legacy of Elijah, but he's not imprisoned by his example. He's inspired by it. But how easy is it to idolize those people we look up to? I mean, Elisha could be seen to be fearing when Elijah's leaving. How easy is it to just want to be as good as someone, put them as sort of like the top rung of the ladder? Is there anyone we idolize that we want to follow in the footsteps of, but we believe we can never be as good as? In an age of social media, it's really easy to do that, isn't it? Everyone's got little Photoshop, Visco edited visions and like insights into their lives. It's so easy to idolize and think they have it all together. I'm definitely guilty of this because I love interior design and just look at it. Let's take a moment. I mean, not only are her photographic skills really good and she's an incredible worship leader in America, she also has a beautiful home. And I'm not going to lie, looking at those pictures day in, day out, as much pleasure as it gives me to just see freshly clean carpets and perfectly coordinated scatter cushions. <laughs> it genuinely makes me look at my very lovely little flat and go, oh, if only I had like a $3,000 rug. <laughs> Struggle's real. But there's this idea that we can start to idolize people and they kind of become bigger than the actual person they are and Elisha is massively at risk of this but I think Elijah as part of his legacy must have just been showing Elisha the human side to his life as he walked alongside him must have just been showing him oh actually I had moments like that when I hid under a tree and wanted to pack it all in oh I felt really low yeah I can relate to that and he must have just been a really good teacher because Elisha didn't idolize him Elisha was ambitious to do even more, ambitious to stand on the shoulders of Elijah's life and see even more of God move across the nations. We read about this request, this little exchange between Elijah and Elisha. He says, you know, what, what's the last thing you'd want from me before I ascend to heaven? And Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Sort of like a double blessing from whatever he's got from God. I want it. I want more. I want even more. There's something funny about this phrase, double portion, because in Orthodox Jewish culture, a double portion uh, was entitled to a firstborn son of the father's inheritance. Right, so Elisha's been following around Elijah. We said sort of much like a servant, but he's almost asking, you know, could you just like call me your son almost? Could my obedience to you, almost, not in an arrogant way, but almost be recognized? 
could I get a double portion of your spirit, of the power of God in your life? Just double, please, if there's anything you can grant me right now. I find it fascinating that he's asking Elijah for this, right? He spent all this time pursuing God. God's the main character. God is the, the end goal, to know him more, to let the people know him more. But he's asking Elijah for it. I don't think it's Elijah's to give away. I think it's from God, right? And it's interesting Elijah's response because he's like, that's a difficult thing of all the things you could have asked for. Do you not like my sandals? Just, you know, <laughs> that's a difficult thing, he says. And on a human level, what first struck me is I'm like, when you're teaching someone something, maybe you're captain of a sports team and you're training up a team or you're teaching someone piano or you're teaching someone to just be more confident or better at something or other it's actually quite difficult to wish them to be even better than you right to wish them to exceed you go and do even more but that's what the best teachers do but it really chips at your ego if you're like oh just come be like me oh no wait you actually you can be better than me but that's what I think is like sort of the human side of what Elijah says and it's a difficult thing. But then the goal, the end goal isn't for Elijah's name to just remain famous, is it? It's to raise people up to share God with other people. It's not recognition for ourselves, it's God's fame. It's God's praise that he's due. So how we influence, maybe it's our house. As I said, maybe it's our sports team. Maybe if you're a student, you're in a square. How we influence those groups, how we encourage others. Maybe at work, it's in the office, how we shape that culture. It's not just for our own fame. It's so that something of God is known by more people. Whether it's being gracious, forgiving, loving, kind. Whether it's just knowledge of who God is or who God says other people are. That's what we want to last. That's the legacy we want to stick. But again, when Elijah says it's a difficult thing, it might be a sort of spiritual interpretation that he means, meaning he knows it's not his to give away. He knows it's from God, and it's ultimately up to God as to whether he chooses to bless Elisha with this double portion. Elisha's wish for even more appears to exceed even Elijah's expectations, right? He's kind of like, keep an eye on me, and when I get, maybe you'll get it, I think. It's not, it's not an assertive, definite response, is it, really? It seems a bit stuttery, a bit like, oh, that caught me off guard. But I think what's happening here, Elisha's ambition for even more, he understands something that I think is really important for us to understand, right? Because I think... In the same way uh, disciples followed Jesus and we're all apprentices to Jesus and his example and what he can teach us. And when he ascended to heaven, he gave us the Holy Spirit so that God's presence can live in us. In the Bible, it tells us that Jesus says that when we believe in him, we should expect even more. That when we have the Holy Spirit and we believe in him, we should expect to go on to see even greater things than happen in his time on earth. I mean, logically, he was only ministering for three years, and, well, most of us here have been on the earth more than three years. It quite, seems quite logical, but I ignore that. I don't know about you. 
I set him as like, oh, everything he achieved, I could never ever do anything more. But Jesus says we can expect to see even more. Elisha gets this, I think. And Elisha knows that even more is possible. Elijah's not to be idolized. And God can do even greater things through him when he opts in for the journey beyond Elijah's life on earth. When the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, who comes and lives in us, that we've received that, that means the same power that raised the dead, that healed the sick, that gave sight to the blind, that parted oceans, that brought restoration to nations, lives in us. When we receive Holy Spirit, we are called sons and daughters of God. Do we receive this with the same eagerness that Elisha wanted to receive that double portion of Elijah's spirit? Do we realize the inheritance we've been given when we receive the Holy Spirit? We opt in and we build our legacy when we ask for even more. Like each time Elisha chose to continue on the journey with Elijah. His life stood upon the legacy of Elijah's story and went on to see literally double the amounts of miraculous things. We stand upon the story of Jesus and the example of God as a human on earth laid out for us. And we have the same power within us power of Holy Spirit and Jesus encourages us to go on and do and see even more it wasn't just given to us Holy Spirit so that we could just do what Jesus did it transforms who you are when you receive it it makes us more like Jesus and more into the person we were created to be It's not just our actions, it's our identity as well. And in fact, if uh, we read on to the next verse in this passage, before Elisha has gone on to live this life that is doubly doubly as impressive as Elijah's, remember those 50 onlookers? They can see that something's different. They can see and they comment, oh, the spirit of Elijah is on you. Before he's even done all the stuff Elijah did and then more, Something in his identity had changed. He'd become a prophet. He'd, he'd received a sort of a purpose from God, a blessing from God that was visible to the onlookers. It wasn't just to go on and do what Elijah did, but it was to inherit this identity that Elijah had. As a follower of God, as a voice to the people... He was no longer a servant. He had a much broader life purpose now. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we opt into that, when we accept that invitation, the Spirit of God in us, comforter, empowerer, peace beyond understanding, the power of God, we're called to not be servants to a master, but we're children to a heavenly father, Changes our identity. When uh, 
St. Paul was writing letters, he loved writing letters, to Ephesus. We can read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, that he tells them to live a life worthy of the calling they've received, of the like identity God had given them, of what he was beckoning them towards, to live a life worthy of that. And I think when we live a life in the knowledge of what God has called us, sons and daughters, we start to realize what it means to be equipped with this Holy Spirit, with the presence of God in us, and our identity changes, and we become more like God has created us to be. Elisha's identity changed. See, our identity through God's eyes is a little bit backwards, right? So he identifies us by what he's beckoning us to towards how he's created us to be so when we don't understand what it means to be loved and we still have our rebellious phases and we haven't got it all together he calls us loved because that is who he made us to be and that is therefore who we are when he calls us to be righteous which is in right relationship with him which is living a life as he intended we still mess up because we're not perfect but he's beckoning us towards that and that is who he calls us that is therefore our identity So when we don't know how to relate to him as a father, but we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive the identity of children of God, and he teaches us, and he beckons us forward on the journey. Each step we opt in, he's changing our identity. He's creating us into who we're meant to be. So our legacy is therefore part of a greater story of people knowing God. And we build this legacy every time we opt in to our own journey with God to seek even more than we've seen or experienced in this life so far. Now, as I was thinking how to wrap up this talk and what on earth we could do in response, how we can let this sink in, I don't know what stuck for you, but I came away from it challenged that I couldn't just wimp out that it had to be bold. God's like, well, you're gonna say that, then you can't just not do it yourself. <laughs> you don't get out of it when you give the preach. <laughs> so I wanna be bold, um, and I want us to stand, please, if you're able. So we've spoken this evening of receiving the Holy Spirit how it's intentional, how it's active, how it's accepting, receiving. It's, it's something we choose to do. And in case it hasn't become clear, the Holy Spirit then is the presence of God who comes and lives in us. It transforms our identity. It reshapes our perspective. And it transforms our ability because we are therefore filled with the power of God. Now, if you're still not sure about this whole Jesus thing, and this is not the point in your journey that you're at, there's complete permission not to receive the Holy Spirit. But if there's something within you that knows that this is you, that knows that this is that point in your journey, that this is what's missing, that this is the next step for you to opt in, then I want to invite you to place your hands out in front of you, just as a sort of physical sign of your desire to receive the Holy Spirit. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and fill you. And those around you, feel free to pray silently whilst I do so. 
So if that's you, I just invite you to place your hands out just as a signal that you want to receive. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you were resurrected and went up to heaven, you did not leave us to figure this life out alone, but you sent Holy Spirit who guides, comforts, and empowers us. Thank you for the willingness shown as people hold out their hands who want to know you more. Thank you for their boldness. Lord, would your spirit fill them, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus, that they may know your presence within them and your blessing upon them. We invite you in, Holy Spirit. Fill us, we pray. Amen. Now, for those of us here that are already on our journey with Jesus, maybe we've received the Holy Spirit within us already. There's always even more, and there's always a next thing to opt into, and there's always more to learn and to grow in, right? So if you feel comfortable, I want to invite you to do the same physical sign of willingness and to put out your hands, to opt into more of what God wants to do in you and through you. And again, I'm going to pray over us all as the band just begin to play in the background. Lord, we thank you that our relationship with you is not built on obligation, but on opting in to the journey with you. Father, we opt in to more with you. Would you lead us to the next place? Fill us afresh with Holy Spirit so that we would see even more of you in our lives. Let us build a legacy that is not inseparable from you and who you are beckoning us to become. And may we share our knowledge of you boldly with those around us. We opt in now, Lord. Amen.